Uh, I don't know about you, we love knowing about records. I don't know about you, I love records. I've never broke a record, obviously. I know some of y'all are surprised. Um, even weird records, we love knowing them, right? Like longest hair or something random like that. Anyway, that's why the Guinness Book of World Records, the Guinness World Records is so popular. Uh, the Office of the Guinness Book of World Records receives over 50,000 claims a year from all over the world. And if, you, if I were to ask you uh, which country breaks the most world records, you would say America. You know, you'd probably say America, America, right? That's what you'd say. Or some of you might say Germany. Some of you might say, I don't know, something like China. You just take, you know, throw a Hail Mary out there. Um, you would say America, but Stuart Claxton, I don't know if you know him, uh, he's the marketing director for Guinness World Records, said, it's Canada. <laughs> what exactly? What? Yeah, crazy. Stuart said in a Huffington Post article uh, a number of years ago, this is a quote, per capita, more records are broken in Canada than any other country in the world. What? Yes, the Canadians, eh? They, now check, I mean, like, they own all kinds. They recently owned the largest uh, dodgeball game, but they got beat out by UC Irvine uh, just a couple years ago. But they, this year, currently a Canadian uh, engineer, longest, actually not longest, farthest flight on a hoverboard, literally riding a hoverboard, <laughs> almost 1,000 feet. It's impressive. I watched the video, like, three times today. Uh, but the record I want to highlight is the world's slowest growing tree. My man, Brandon Hawks and Ian, are going to really appreciate this. They're forestry guys. Uh, the world's slowest growing tree, it's a white cedar found on a cliffside around the Canadian Great Lakes. All right? Do you know how long it took the tree to grow four inches? Just four inches, 155 years. <laughs> Slowest growing tree in the world, and Canada owns that. <laughs> right? And so here's the thing. Like, I, 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 read, I read this story, and here's what I thought. One, that's kind of just fascinating stuff. Um, but this tree, I think, really describes the way life feels. I think if we all, if anybody ever asks you from this day forward what tree best describes your life, you will say the white cedar. And people are going to go, man, you've really thought about this, you know? Like, that's exactly what they're going to do. Most people, whether, now here's the thing, like most people, whether you're a Christian or not, have things about their life that they would love to see change, right? I mean, I think we could all, we want to change things. Like there's things about our life that we just don't like. Um, and I'm not talking about looks, right? You know, I used to have hair. It'd be great if it grew back, you know what I'm saying? I think. I might not like it. Um, I'm not talking about looks. What I'm talking about is character stuff. Like, um, the stuff going on inside of us, the stuff that we do, the things that we think that no one else knows, the things we feel that no one else knows, right? We want to see growth as a person, uh, we want to see our attitude change, right? We want to see more self-control. We want to see less loneliness, more patience, less anger. 
uh, more loving, more loving, less insecure, right? Less insecurity. Less pornography, more purity. I mean, we could go on for days, right? Uh, We could go on and on. We want to change, but we feel like the white cedar. Like, I'm going to grow four inches in the next 155 years. And that's not very thrilling. That's not exciting. Like, that doesn't really motivate me or encourage me. I don't know about you. Uh, Growth and change are slow. Like, it seems so slow. Uh, Even as I talk to people and hang out with you guys, I mean, even hopeless. When you think about growth and change, like, even hopeless at times. Like, we take a few steps forward, and then we're, like, going backwards. We take a few steps forward and maybe 23 steps back. Right? Um, well, this passage is for us. Uh, this passage is for us. It, God, in this story that we're going to read and look at, is after our hearts. Because uh, it's a story for you. If that's you, you feel like, man, I'm, I'm not growing. I'm not moving. And if I am, it's like the white cedar. Um, this story is for you because Abraham, we see him sin, and we see him sin repeatedly. And for most Christians, they would tell you that's like their story. That's the story of their life. Um, and so we're going to look at three things. The situation, the speech, and the surprise. See, you guys showed up tonight. You didn't know I was going to have a surprise for you. It's free. All right. So let's talk about the situation in verses 1 to 10. Abraham and Sarah are on the move, right? Abraham and Sarah, they're on the move. We don't really know why. We don't really know what's going on. But they are relocating in Gerar which would be south-central Israel today. Some of you may have been there. South-central Israel today. It's probably an unfamiliar territory for them. They're definitely um, uh, unknown to the inhabitants of the territory. Like, they're newbies. Nobody knows who they are. Um, They cross paths with this guy named Abimelech. Uh, He's the king of Gerar. And look at verse 2. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. Abraham tells the king that his wife is his sister. And she's taken by the king to be part of his harem. Basically to be part of these women, bunches of them, that he can have sex with at any point of the day that he so pleases. Right? She's thrown into that group. Right? It's really sex slavery in a lot of ways. If you think of it that way. Uh, Anyway, she's part of his harem. And we know why Abraham does this. That's what's amazing is the, the story tells us. Um, uh, I mean, just look at it. It's in verse 11. If you just look at verse 11, Abraham did this to protect himself at the end of the day. Like he was afraid, and so to protect himself, he lied, and she was taken. So Abraham lies, throws his wife under the bus to protect himself. And this isn't the first time he's done this. Uh, 20 years earlier, you may remember me mentioning this, but it was in chapter 12 of Genesis. Uh, Abraham and Sarah had to go down to Egypt because there was like a famine in the land. So they end up in Egypt. Uh, He told the exact same lie to the Pharaoh in Egypt, and the exact same thing happened. Uh, She was taken into sex slavery. But before anything could happen to her, before the Pharaoh could hook up, right, um, God steps in, and he basically puts the Pharaoh in an arm bar. Basically chokes him out. Metaphor, right? He afflicts them, uh, and so Pharaoh freaks out, lets her go, and they're on their way. Uh, here we are 20 years later, 
He's doing the exact same sin. 20 years later, doing the exact same thing. And it would be easy to think, how could he? Like, we could judge him, like maybe throw something at him. His wife, hopefully, will throw something at him later. Um, But I think many of us don't want to do that because we get it. Like, we can relate to him. Uh, We know what it's like to fail again and again and again. Like, we know what it's like to lie or to hide, to protect ourselves, to, to throw people under the bus. Anytime you gossip, that's what you're doing, essentially. Um, To be afraid, to not trust God, to abandon God when life gets hard. You know, like, I mean, just think about it like this. This is not to shame any of you, but I just want you to reflect. Finals week, or the week before finals and finals week, like, "Mm, how's your spiritual life? No, man, we're stressed out. Like, God's the last thing on our mind a lot of times, except for those Hail Marys we throw up right before we take the test. Please, supernaturally, God, help me remember everything that I only spent 15 minutes looking at. Because I was hanging out with my friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just, everyone of you are like, yeah, I do that. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm not pointing the finger at Abraham because I'm no different than him. Like, I'm no different than him. Uh, we're not above him. We, we may not do exactly what he did, uh, but we get the struggle of life. Like, we get what it's like to fail even after we've been walking with God for a really long time and do the exact same thing we were struggling with years ago. So that's the situation. It's not good, right? Let's look at the speech. Starting in verse 11, I'm just basically reading the rest of the story to you. So Abimelech's like, yo, what, what were you thinking? Like, mind you, like, you, like, I had a dream. Your God talked to me last night. You know, he's freaking out. And so why did you do this? And here is Abraham's response. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God, caused me, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. So that's nothing. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> then Abimelech took, now this is what's wild. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. It's crazy. So Abraham lies to protect himself. His wife is taken by Abimelech. And so this is really messed up. And it basically puts the fulfillment of God's promises. Remember he made these promises in Genesis 12. It puts those things in jeopardy. And then in, so guess what? He's going to step in. He's going to intervene. And you see it in verses 3 to 7. God comes to Abimelech in a dream. It's the first time he ever communicated to anybody like this in the Bible through a dream. Um, And basically says, if you do not return Sarah, I will kill you. 
think like Liam Neeson and Taken, you know, like a very special set of skills. And so Abimelech had no idea Sarah was married. Like he had no idea. Remember their sister brother? Uh, and he listens to God. So the next day he wakes up, gets his team together. He's like, yeah, we got, we got a situation. Uh, Abimelech confronts Abraham in verses 9 to 10, asking him, hey, man, what have you done? Like, why did you lie to me? Like, why did you do this? He uses the phrase great sin, right, Abraham? Uh, and let's just define sin real quick. Um, sin is basically any thought, word, action that is contrary to God's design for humanity. Does that help? Uh, and so why did you do this great sin? Abraham's busted. He's caught in sin. So how is he going to respond? That is the question. Unfortunately, his response is not great. Um, his response reveals a lot about us. It reveals a lot about our broken nature. It reveals a lot about the way we respond to sin. Uh, and so Abraham does this speech, speech, so to speak, in verses 11 to 13, if you want to look at it. In verses 11 to 13 is a great glimpse into the, to the human condition. Because everything he does here, just trailer for you, we do it. And you're about to, I'm going to unpack that. Um, it's a great glimpse into our heart. So let's take a look at it. First thing we seem to do is make excuses. He, when confronted with his sin, Abraham starts making excuses right out the gate. Verse 11, well, I thought this, well, I thought that. Mm. Next thing, assumptions. He had made assumptions. Like he thought that this new region that he's going into would, not be, would be hostile. It would not fear God. And so he creates this strategy to protect himself. His assumptions were wrong, actually really wrong. Uh, and then let's keep going. Fear. Uh, Abraham says, I thought they will kill me because of my wife. And so he didn't trust God to protect him. And so he launched this strategy of self-protection. Uh, all of this, I mean, just these first three things you just see in verse 11, like right out the gate. But Abraham's speech isn't over. He's going to keep going. It's, it's crazy. Look at verse 12. Downplays. He downplays. Uh, besides, you see that phrase? He goes, besides, she is indeed my sister. Now, his explanation is like a half-truth. They were like related distantly. But he's telling a half-truth. Like, I didn't really lie. You know what I'm talking about? And the lines are blurry. Mm, maybe. Um, so that's what he's doing. He's downplaying. Like, he's starting to downplay what he did. It wasn't a total lie, just like 45% lie, maybe. Um, does that sound familiar? Like, it's... It's not that bad. Really, not that bad. Let's keep going. So downplaying, next one, blame shifting. This is my favorite one. Like, he blames God. Um, his sin, like him lying, was someone else's fault. Like, this is someone else's fault. Um, look at verse 13. When God caused me to wonder, what? Did he really do that? He just threw his wife, and now he's throwing God under the bus. Uh, it's going to take a big bus. Sorry, it's too easy. I had to. Uh, it's too. Easy. It just came to me. So he, he's like, "Let me look." He said, "When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I had to come up with a strategy. I had to come up with a strategy to survive. So I lied. I, I mean, like we do that to survive. Now we may not be fearing for our life." But sometimes we can be just really going through some hard stuff in life and think, man, how am I going to survive? 
And so we, we lie. We start lying to ourselves. We start lying to others, right? Um, if God had been better to me, I wouldn't have had to lie, is essentially what he's saying. And then lastly, sin, uh, this is all from verse 13, sin is rarely a solo endeavor. Like, it affects the people around you. Uh, it pulls others in. And you see him doing that with his wife. Like, he, it's, it's awful. Uh, and sin is not always random acts that you don't see coming. And I'm going to explain these things. Like, you see in verse 13, Abraham tells his wife she must lie. Like, he doesn't lead her spiritually. Rather, what he's doing is leading her away from following God. And he said, we must lie at every place we come. This was planned. Like, this was strategic. Like, for all we know, they've been potentially lying for the last 20 years every place they come to to protect himself. Everywhere they come, oh, this is my brother, oh, this is my sister. You get what I'm saying? Like, this is strategic, planned, premeditated sin. Um, This is how I'm going to deal with life. This is kind of what he's doing. This is how I'm going to deal with life. This is how I'm going to deal with hurdles. When things get hard, instead of trusting God, I'm going to lie. I'm going to lie to people. I'm going to get other people to lie for me. Um, Like, it was intentional. And so, some, I mean, like, sin often is intentional. Like, we make a choice to do what we do. Um, now, sometimes we can get caught up in stuff, you know, and it's not premeditated, it's not intentional. Um, and we all do these things. We make excuses. We downplay it. It's never that bad, Brian. We blame shift. It's always someone else's fault. I, my, I have a five-year-old. I haven't had to teach them, and I have a three-year-old. I haven't had to teach them how to do any of this stuff. They do it on their own naturally. It's like knee-jerk reaction because it's part of the human condition, the broken human condition. Like just the other day, I was like, Noah, um, man, you shouldn't have done that. But my sister, that's immediately what he said. She wasn't even in the room. Like, I'm like, where is she? Like, what are you talking about? She's not even here. But somebody, where's mom? You know, like, somebody made me do this. I'm like, no, you flushed your underwear down the toilet. No one encouraged that, right? Oh, man, it's crazy. So it's intentional, right? We do these things. Uh, And so we get Abraham. Now, let's talk about the surprise. The surprise. You've all been waiting on this all night. Verses 14 to 18, surprise. Uh, after, after Abraham's speech, there's this weird, like, it's just kind of, I don't know, it just surprises me. Like, there's this generosity and forgiveness on Abimelech's part, and Abraham and Sarah are restored, they're back together again, brother and sister, yeah. And then Abraham prays. Like, what? Abraham starts praying for Abimelech's family, and God heals them. It's wild. Uh, we, I mean, we honestly, like, if we all could talk right now, like, we don't know what to do with this. Just kind of like, really, what's going on? Like, it's surprising to us this whole event. Uh, but the bigger surprise in this whole story is God. God is the biggest surprise. I'm going to unpack that for you. As we read this, it would be easy to think that that's it. It's over. 
But God never abandons Abraham. And the reason we think that's it and we think that's over is because we think, deep down, we live like this. That's the way God relates to us. Yeah, he's a little patient. He's a little gracious. But if I'm still doing the same thing in 30 years, man, that's, that's not going to be good for me. Because we, 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 don't, we don't really think he's going to put up with us that long. That he's going to be that gracious, that forgiving for our whole lives. We just don't live like that. We're like, yeah, I'm glad he saved me and he loved me for free, but now I've got to work really hard and get my stuff together. And if I don't do it soon, he's going to leave me behind. That's, I mean, we live like that. Um, but God never abandons Abraham. God made a promise to him. Uh, he said, I will be your God. So that in Genesis 17, it's beautiful. I will be your God, and through you, I am going to bless the nations. And God's not going to let anything get in the way of that. Not even Abraham's failure will stop God from loving him and from completing what he started. Not even his own failure. And so that, like, here's what I need you to hear. Like, God is at work all the time. God is at work when we aren't. God is faithful when we aren't. And even after 20 years of failure, God will never abandon you. And you've got to believe that. Like, God will complete what he started in you and bring you all the way home, no matter how many times you fail. Because of what Jesus has done. And man, that's good news. Because if you're anything like me, and if we're anything like Abraham, we are going to fail a lot. And in 20 years, we're going to fail at something. And we got to know 20 years down the road that God is never going to leave me. That he loves me no matter what. That's good news. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Uh, that you do love us no matter what. Thank you that you are at work when we aren't, that you are faithful when we aren't, that you love us when we abandon you, when we run to other things. You are always pursuing us. You are always with us. Would, would your love for us be real? Would it sink into our bones? Would it change who we are? I pray in your name. Amen.